Thank you for listening to the weekly messages of New Providence Primitive Baptist Church. To subscribe to our podcast, hear other messages, or learn more about us, please visit nppbc.com. Appreciate the Spirit of God tonight. Turn with us to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter number 12. I'm going to read a few verses tonight. Uh, a thought on my heart. I've prayed about it all day long, trying to get settled on what scripture to use, but my thoughts are the same. So I'm just going to ask that you'd pray. God will quicken me. Chapter number 12, 2 Samuel, we'll begin at verse number 1. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing, save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup, lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. There came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was coming to him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold, Because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul and I gave thee my master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. If that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me and hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house I will take the wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. For thou didst it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin, thou shalt not die. Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now with us. Father, we pray that you'd open your word tonight and give us unction, Father, to speak as you have spoken. Grant us nothing more or less, but we do pray for your strength. We pray, God, for the quickening of your spirit Lord, that whatever ailments, God, we may have that would be a hindrance, we pray that 
You are greater than all of those. We're trusting you in this as we pray it for your sheep who've come to feed. But we ask it believing now as we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Second Samuel chapter 12 is a is a picture of God's judgment and his grace. David had sinned. We know the sin. We have read about the sin. You've heard of the sin many times. It's not necessarily that sin that we've come to preach about tonight. I'd rather focus more on what it took to get David to see that he was the man. David's heart had grown indifferent toward God. There had been some time that had elapsed from the time that he had saw Bathsheba from the rooftop. She had conceived. She had bore a child now. So likely we were probably at least nine months, maybe closer to a year that had passed or gone by. And David still in his heart had not repented. The Bible said about David something he has likely never said about me. David was a man after God's own heart. And yet, David found himself backslid. David found himself out of fellowship with God, out of communion with the Holy Spirit, and in error. And he lived that way, not a day, not a month, but I believe what is probably at least a year, maybe even more. What did it take to bring David back to the place where he could admit he was the man? He was the problem. It was his sin. It wasn't somebody else's sin. It was his. What did it take for David to get to the place that he would own his own sin? Why is it the nature of man to try to hide our sin? From Adam and Eve, it's not been any different. You're no different than them. Every one of us have the same sin nature. If we're not careful what we try to do when sin comes into our lives and into our heart, instead of being obedient and honest unto God and repenting of that sin, we try to hide it. We'll try to justify our sin. We'll try to negotiate our sin. We'll try to say it's not as bad as others' sins. And yet the truth about it is, is even the least of sins will separate you from fellowship with God. I don't know about you, but the greatest thing, or at least of the greatest value that I have in my life is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I treasure this truth that I can talk to him and that he talks with me. Oh, I love what he did with Adam and Eve daily in the garden. Of an evening, he would go and join them and walk with them and talk with them. And yet on that dreadful day when Eve had ate of the fruit and gave to Adam and he ate as well, suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized that they I were naked, sin had 
found its way into their heart and sin, the rebellion that it grew into their soul, friend, it's not something unique to you and I. We know what they did because we've done it many times. We've rebelled against God and we've sinned against God. We've failed to keep the commandment of God. We've trespassed against his holy will. May I say tonight, there's a need in the hearts of men and women to be honest about sin. Why is it that we try to hide our sin? When Achan took of that uh, the thing in the uh, Jericho and brought unto himself the thing brother he should have been honest and repented of his sin got rid of it in the sight of God but instead he covered it up and tried to hide it to his own demise he was unwilling and ended up dead and his whole family dead because he was unwilling to admit he had sinned before God oh what a difference it makes when we're honest enough to be forthright with our sin and our trespasses against God. We've sinned against him. David said after hearing those words from Nathan, he said, I have sinned against the Lord. What got him there? How did David suddenly go from a proud heart to rebellious heart? Now he was broken and and repenting unto the prophet of God, letting him know that he seen his sin. He was guilty of his sin. It wasn't his neighbor's fault. It was his own fault. What is it that brought David to a place where he can repent of his sin? It's the same thing for David as it's been for you and I, friend. It takes the conviction of the word of God to bring a man to his sinful nature. It takes the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal unto you and I that we're the sinner not our neighbor that it's our sin that corrupts us and brother he knows how to convict us all he had to do was say thou art the man that's all he had to say when David had pronounced judgment upon this uh, fictitious story that Nathan had shared with him It was a beautiful picture of David and his riches and his wealth. And Uriah, who had only one dear wife, while Uriah was out there serving him on the battlefield, David took the one woman, the one wife of Uriah, and he lay with her. May I say to you today, I don't care who you are, your sin will find you out. David did everything he could to hide his sin. He did everything he could to hide his transgression against God. But you know what God was was intent on? He was he was absolutely intent on David not getting away with trying to hide his sin. Uriah, he had him brought back and he tried his best to get Uriah to go down to his house and to sleep with his wife so that he might be able to say it was Uriah's child and not his. May I say to you today, Uriah was a better man than David at that point. He was unwilling to go down there and to be with his wife while all of his brethren were out there on a battlefield putting their lives on their on the line. May I say to you today, there's a reason for him that we need to repent unto God. There is a spirit that dwells within you and I that wants us, that desires us, that will show us what we need to do to be right. Amen. Oh, how we try to hide sin from God. But oh, he knows how to get to the root of it. David had done everything he thought finally 
He told old Joab, he said, you put your eye in the hottest part of the battle and then you pull back from him. I don't know about you, but that's treacherous. That's the most wicked thing I could think of doing to a man. Take a brave and a valiant soldier who had served and give his life for you. Put him in the front line of the battle and then pull all the forces back so it's just him. That way we'll be sure that one of those arrows get him. That way I'll be sure that one of those uh, stones from the enemy's wall hits him. I'll be sure that Uriah dies. Let me tell you something. David was guilty of murder. David was guilty of adultery. David was guilty of lying. David was guilty of having turned his back on God. And then he lived in the rebellion of that guilt. And he transgressed God every day that he refused to repent. You say, what? can bring a man down to where he'll repent of sin. God can. God can. God appoint to all of this. God can, God's the one that can bring a person to the place spiritually that he's willing to say, I'm the man. I'm unwilling to go any farther. I'm unwilling to point my finger at anybody else. I'm the man. I'm the problem. I need to repent. And David did repent. <laughs> The Bible said that uh, old Nathan told him, he said, God's going to spare your life, David. He's going to spare your life, he said, but the life of the child will not be. And the child did die. May I say to you today, I, I wish it wouldn't take things like this to get, now David is guilty of two deaths. Regardless of what you want to say, the death of that child was the cause. The death of that child, it was David's fault. If he hadn't sinned against God, amen, he wouldn't have been in that predicament. It was the judgment of God that brought the death. Now, I ain't worried about the child. I know according to the word of God where it went, it was probably in better shape than anybody else on the earth. But may I say this, there was a man and his sin caused that ungodly thing. His sin caused that judgment to come to this house. His sin had caused him to receive a judgment of God that the sword would never depart out of his house. God was fixing to empty all of the wives from his own harem. God was fixing to pour them out into the, into Israel and Judah. God was fixing to do things that David had no idea would come his way. But it all came because he sinned and would not repent. Say, what's it going to take for revival? Well, it's going to take repentance. The only way to see revival in this land is if my people, which are called by my name, do what? They repent. They got to get right with God. In order to see revival in this land, it's going to take a people that come back to God and they repent of their sinfulness. So the question then is what will bring a man to finally repent? We know him. There's many people today that, that are out there in sin. There's many people that we love. Many of them we think are saved. Don't really know for certain. But I believe a bunch of them are probably saved and they're living in sin just like David was. There are people out there also that, are belie- that they, they're believers in Christ, but they've never been saved. They're not that kind of believer. They've never been transformed by the power of God. They believe in Christ and they believe in God, but may I say to you today, they've never been converted. They're unconverted believers. But regardless of who they are, the question tonight, and I want to try to help us as a church to get there to the answer 
The question tonight is what's it going to take for men to turn back to God? I preached a message Sunday about our captain, about our sovereign God, and I went back uh, and I listened to it again this week. I listened to that message Monday. I seen the Spirit of God was just pushing me back to it. And as I as I watched it again, I realized that that I should have paid more attention to it myself, having even preached it, having enjoyed every bit of it, having believed all of it. The Holy Spirit of God gave me a verse Monday that turned me upside down. Mark chapter number 11, verse number 24, Jesus said to them, he said, and what things soever ye desire when you pray, believe that ye receive them, ye shall have them. And as I got before God and began to ask and to seek God concerning the desire of my heart and my desire, I've tried to make clear, uh, we've a lot of people that's name is associated with this church, 257 members on our roll. I realize some of them may be members of other churches, may never come back. That's fine. And I realize that some of them may never been saved. And that's the reason they won't come back. They don't know any different. They're still lost. But there's some out there that are saved and they're living in sin. But regardless of what condition they're in, I'm going to tell you what my heart's desire is, and that's to see them get right with God. I mean, every one of them, it's my heart, and I've brought it before God, and I've told him over and over that this is my desire. I want to see them get saved. I want to see them get right with you. And as God began to challenge me this week on understanding what it means to pray and to believe and to speak the desires of your heart and to receive them by the promise of a holy and an almighty and an omniscient and sovereign God. He challenged my soul. I went to the meeting on Monday night, to the prayer meeting. Couldn't get the verse off my heart. The brother asked me to stand and give a word. That's all I could speak was my heart. Mark chapter 11, verse number 24. And I shared with that group of men that I needed God to help me to show me my issue, to help me see how I was failing in my prayer and where my faith was. And if my faith was the problem to increase my faith, I don't know where you are with God tonight, but I'd like to see our people get right with God. It's my heart's desire. There's a many of them, friend. There's so many of them. If they would all come back, we'd have to build a bigger church probably. But may I say to you today, my heart's desire is similar to what uh, the Apostle Paul was when he said my heart's desire for Israel is that they be saved, all of them. That was what he wanted to see. And friend, that's my desire tonight. I'm not asking for something that I can consume upon my own flesh. I'm not asking something that is contrary to the will of God. The will of God for my people is that they be saved. The will of God for my backsliders is that they repent and come back home. I know that. That's not the issue. I needn't pray for my people to be saved. God's already trying to save our people. God's already said he would save our people. There's nothing else to be done for our people. So you say, what are we to pray for? 
Well, I believe we ought to pray for what happened to the prodigal son. I believe we ought to start praying that what happened to David happens to them. What happened to the prodigal son happens to them. Whatever it takes to bring a man to a place of godly sorrow that leadeth to repentance, that's what we need to pray for. As I thought about the faithful women that are, pre- that are coming together to pray on Monday nights, I felt compelled tonight. I couldn't get away from it all day long. I've asked God about this, and I want to encourage you women to keep praying, but I want you to line up with this truth. We need to pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will fall upon our lost people and our backslid in such a way that they'll get so miserable in sin that like the prodigal son, they will run out of themselves, they will get to the end of their rope, and they will find out that God is the only way they'll ever have peace in this world. I believe today that if we pray, I believe today that the prayers of the saints are God's work. I believe that you good people believe Believe God and have faith in God and that your desire is that God would bring our sinners back home. Man, I believe today that if conviction finds its place in their hearts, that'll be as great an opportunity for them to come home as can ever be given. Now, let me be clear about the truth. God made it clear to me as I prayed Monday night. He revealed this to me as I was on that altar and he made it clear to my soul He doesn't save anybody if they don't want to get saved. We know that. He will not save someone against their will. He will not force a prodigal to come home if they don't want to come home. But here's what happened to me the night I got saved. I got so lost that I'll run to get saved. Here's what happened to the prodigal. He ran out and got so hungry that he ran home. Because he knew that's where he had to go. You say, preacher, what brought the prodigal back home? He had to run out and the conviction of God had to bring his heart and his mind down to a place that he remembered that in his father's house was even bread to spare. And he said, I'm going to go back home. What told him to go back home? He ran out and the conviction of God's Holy Spirit revealed to him that he had to go back home how many of them have heard us how many of them have got your texts how many of them have got your phone calls how many of them have you spoken to and asked them to come back and they ain't come back yet let me tell you something the thing that's missing is the hand of God upon their life a conviction that brings them heart mind and soul into a place where they recognize I can't live like this anymore there's a place I believe that a man can get that his bed gets too hard and his covers get too short and he's not able to find not a moment's rest in this life. You say, preacher, are we asking that God bring these people to an ill position? No, I'm asking God to convict them. I'll leave it up to the captain to do what he needs to do, but I'll tell you right now, their soul is worth more saved then it is lost. It don't make any difference. What the apostle Paul, what Jesus said, not Paul, what Jesus said in the, in, the, in, in the Gospels, he said, if a man's eye offends you, if, a, if your eye is going to keep you out of heaven, you know what he said to do with it? He said, pluck it out. 
He said, if your hand offends you, if that's what's keeping you away, he said, cut it off. You say, preacher, what's he trying to say? There ain't anything more important than a person getting right with Almighty God. We need conviction in the hearts of our people. I heard a story one time. I've got my own. But I'm going to tell this one. Preacher shared this one. He said it happened to him. It was him he ha- it happened to, so I took him for his word. said, a man called him one night, and he said, Preacher, I think I'm going to die. He said, I need help. I think I'm going to die. The man was weeping. He said, what's wrong with you? He said, every time I close my eyes, he said, I hear my little girl praying that God would save her daddy. He said, every time I open the refrigerator, I hear my little girl praying that God would save her daddy. Every time I get in a car, I hear my little girl praying that God would save her daddy. He said, I'm losing my mind. He said, I think I'm going to die. Preacher told him, he said, no. He said, you're fixing to live. He said, what are you talking he said, what you need to do is what your little girl's been praying for. He said, the problem you got, friends, the Holy Spirit's got a hold of you, and it's time for you to make a choice. Now, I can't make somebody be saved, but I know what it takes for them to want to be saved. I got so lost that night when he came my way, Brother Greg, that I wanted to be saved. I didn't come in the house of God that night to get saved. I wasn't looking for God, but when the conviction of the Holy Ghost got done with me, I couldn't get saved fast enough. I don't know, Brian, how long I'm going to keep using your testimony, but it's so fresh in my mind. Amen. When, when, when you fall into the hands of a living God, you're fixing to become a miserable human being. If you're out of fellowship with God, amen, you'll end up just like that brother did. Amen, texting the preacher saying, I got to have some help. Would you meet me here? Amen, he didn't come here to talk to me. That tickled me to death when you come here. He didn't come here to talk to me. He pointed at the morning's bitch, amen. When you get to the place where conviction begins to have its real work, you're gonna have to do something. I'm convinced tonight that what we need to be upon all the backsliders and the sinners I'm just talking about those affiliated with this church. It ain't that I'm not looking for others to be saved. They will be. But this is a part of our body. This is a part of our flock. And I think the very least we can do is to pray right and to seek God for something that we know he'll do. We know it's his will they get right. We know it's his will if they're lost they'll get saved. It's not a question about does he have power to save. Amen. And I believe when the people of God line up, as Matthew eleven twenty eight said, and we agree on this one thing, that what we're going to pray for is that every one of them believers that we love so much 
Every one of them folks that are out there in sin that we love with all of our heart, those people that you've been weeping over, those people that you care about, those people that you've, you've spoken to God to every day, amen. I believe when the people of God in faith began to claim what he said, he said to them, he said, what things soever ye desire, when you pray, he said, believe, believe that you'll receive it. And you shall have it, he said. You shall have it. You know why I pray in the name of Jesus? Because Jesus can do anything. And what I am asking is for his eternal and divine purpose to be at work in the hearts and the minds of our people. May, there, there may be, I don't know how God will use this tonight, but I pray that he'll take this message and he'll put it in the hearts and the minds and the ears of every person that's affiliated with this good flock and he'll open up their heart to the conviction, the same kind of conviction that broke David and made him say, I'm the one, I'm the man that's the problem. The same conviction that brought me from the back seat of this church to the front place where the mercy seat is. God God can convict sinners today. And a man's got to get lost before he'll ever get saved. And a person that is backslid on God, many of them have got to come to the end of their rope. They got to get to the end of themselves. The Bible said concerning the prodigal son that he came to himself. When he came to himself... He recognized that he was in the hog pen of the world and he was eating. Desire would have fain have filled his belly with the husks that the pigs were eating. That's how low he had got. All of his money was gone. All of his friends were gone. Every earthly possession he owned was gone. You say, preacher, are you asking that God do that to our people? Not necessarily. But mark my words, I don't care what it takes because their soul is more important than anything else right now. They need to get right with God. You say, preacher, just leave them alone. Let them do what they want to do. It ain't hurting nobody else. I beg your pardon. They got children. They got wives. They got husbands and every one of them may be lost and watching that one person who says they're saved and won't serve God and living in sin. Let me tell you something. We need to get right today and we'll take the Holy Spirit of God and his conviction to do it. You know a man don't get right on his own. You know what compels you every day as you sin and come short of the glory of God? You know what compels you good people to hit your knees and weep and say, I'm sorry. I hope you weep. I hope it bothers you. I hope your sin troubles you. Say, I'm going to church every Sunday. I don't have to repent like that. (laughs) You've not seen your sin yet, have you? The depravity that this old sin nature is accustomed to and wants each and every day. Oh, God, it ain't no wonder that when he looks upon us, he sees our righteousness as filthy rags. Oh, that we could see our sin and recognize how awful it is. You say, preacher, why is it so bad? Let me tell you what this prodigal said. He said, I'm going to go back to my father. And he said, I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven 
and I have sinned against you. Let me say something first. He had it right. He recognized that his sin and his transgression was against God. The psalmist would write, write in the Psalms. I read it again today. He said, against thee, O God, alone have I sinned. I want you to know when you sin, you sin against heaven. You say, who's in heaven? Well, number one, the Father is. He's in heaven tonight. The very one that said he loved the world so much that he had sent his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. God is in heaven. And when you sin, friend, it's against God. It's against God, the Father, who before the foundation of the world saw you and I and came up with a plan that you and I could be saved from our wretched selves and deliver us from the condemnation of death and hell. God in heaven is the one you're sinning against. But who also is in heaven... (laughs) At the right hand of the Father sits the Son. And oh, if you don't, if that doesn't bother you to know that when you sin, you sin against him. The Lamb of God, amen, the one that stretched his arms out for the filth of this world. Let him nail him to a cross, having been beaten at that whipping post, a crown of thorns put on his head, blood draining from every part of his body, and then hung on a cross naked, humiliating before the world. And there, instead of him worrying about himself, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Oh, God help me to recognize when I sin, it's against Jesus that I sin. He is the righteous. He is the holy. And he is giving me a word, friend, that compels me to do what he's asked me to do. When we sin, it ought to be something that violates our heart. We ought to feel the anguish of sin and recognize that when we sin, we have sinned against the Father and we have sinned against the Son. Who else is in heaven I believe that, amen, the Holy Spirit that abides within me is the omniscience of God in definition. The Holy Spirit that abides in you, do you know he abides in me the same? That's hard to grasp, ain't it? But he's in you too. And he's in you, and he's in, but he's as much in me as he is in any one of you. Amen, no less, no more. Amen. You know where else he is? He's forever making intercession for all of us before Father, the Father and the Son. Amen. There's a constant communication going on between the Holy Ghost of God and the Father and the Son. You say, do I sin against the Holy Spirit? You sure do. The Bible said that we quench the Spirit of God. We grieve the Spirit of God. When we sin, it's the Spirit of God that lives in me that begins to prick my heart. Amen. And make my heart break and to show me my my grief error. Amen. It's the sin against heaven that ought to bring us to our knees. Our hearts ought to break when we sin. Say, preacher, what's it going to take to see our people come back? It'll take the conviction of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take a manifestation of the Holy Ghost of God lighting upon them. Let me tell you something. I said it the other day, but when the hounds of heaven catch you, Amen, you've got to do something. Amen. 
Oh, David thought he could get away from God, but he would pin later in the Psalms. He said, if, he said, if I would go, amen, to, the, to, to hell itself, he said, behold, thou art there. I can't get away from you. Where am I going to go that I can escape the voice of God, the eyes of God, the Spirit of God? Amen. Everywhere you go, you're going to find God is there. You can't get away from Him. I want to pray tonight that everybody that we love will get so convicted by the Holy Ghost of God that they become the most miserable, broken hearts that they can, you know, you say, preacher, how come? Because that's the only way they're going to come back. Say, how you know? Because if it was another way, they'd have done been here. So what it's going to take is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in their lives to do what he did in you. I'm just using your testimony. Proud, rebellious, hated God, nothing to do with the church, right? That's what you said. And yet that Saturday morning when you walked in here, something changed your mind. Wasn't me. No. Because a bunch of you had been praying. Amen. A bunch of you had been. You had O'Brien on top of your list. I know it. Made him a miserable creature. And use it, use it at the end of yourself. But you came back. And that's where you find the peace. You see, the prodigal said, I'm going to go back home and I'm going to tell the father I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Let me tell you what happened to the prodigal. The Bible said while he was in the pig pen, when he had came to himself and he remembered his father's house and he resolved in his heart that he was going to go back home, you know that that's when the repentance began in the prodigal. The repentance didn't occur when he got back to the Father. No, that was just the finish of his repentance. His repentance began in the pig pen. Because where repentance begins is on the day you begin to turn. The day that you come to yourself and say, I remember what's in the Father's house and I am no longer staying here. I am going back home. You turn from your sin and you start back to Christ. I love what the Bible said. The Bible said, and his father, who was looking, by the way, saw him a great way off. Now, in our minds, we think that his father was standing up on the porch, maybe on a hill, and could see way down through there. And he saw that little figure coming up through there, headed back toward home. I want to say to you today, I believe the father could see way past that. I believe the father knew what nobody else knew. He knew the moment that his son turned and made a choice to come back home. I believe that's where repentance begins. How is it going to begin? They've got to be under conviction. It's going to take the Holy Ghost of God bringing them to a place that they are bereft of everything in this world and they see themselves as having no hope but the father. And when they turn, when they turn, I don't care if they're riding in a vehicle going down 411 Highway. It doesn't make any difference. The moment they turn, the Father sees it. And he knows, 
He knows. You say, how do you know that repentance had already begun? Because the Bible said when the son, he took off the porch and headed toward him. And when he got to him, he threw his arms around him and he started saying, kill the padded calf. Get him a robe. Get him his shoes. Get him his ring. Wait a minute. He hadn't even said, I'm sorry yet. No, his father seen the sorry when he turned. His father didn't have to. He knew what was in his heart already. I've said this before. I think I got saved on the way. It kind of lines up with him seeing. You see, because where I turned was right back there where my wife sits right now. That's where the turning began. That's where I made up my mind that I was not going to sit there in this condition anymore. That's when I made up my mind that one way or another, Paul, I'm going to get to him because he can save me. He saw me back there, and I believe by the time I started down this altar, he was already headed to me. I believe the transaction was done. All I had yet to do was fall on my knees and say, forgive me. He had already done the work. Father threw his arms around him, started saying all this, and he said, oh, Father, Father, don't kiss me, don't kiss me. Don't, don't, don't. He said, for I have sinned against you. He'd already forgiven him. He was loving him. He was already restoring him. When the young man was trying to get it out and say, I'm sorry, the father was already fixing it. That I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. Revival begun. There's a revival party took place at the Father's house that night. When did revival begin at the Father's house? When his son turned and came back home. I want to see revival in an extraordinary way. I'm not talking about a few. I'm praying for every person that is affiliated with this church. I am asking God for every person. And what I'm asking tonight is this, that you would join me in this simple prayer. Say, preacher, we need to pray they get saved. He's already got that. You don't have to worry about that. You say, how so? The Bible said that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Then what are we supposed to pray for? Pray for conviction. Pray for the Holy Ghost, power-filled, life-draining conviction to fall on every heart that has been rebellious against God, every sinner that has rejected God, every person that is deceived and think they've been born again, they've really not. We're praying the Holy Ghost of God would get so great in their lives that they, like David, would stop and say, I'm the man. And the Bible said that David went back to God Scripture said, come get a song. The scripture said that the child got sick. Just as soon as Nathan had told him the child grew sick, 
The Bible said that David, he went into the temple of God and he fasted for seven days. Every day, all day, he prayed and he prayed and he prayed. They tried their best to get him to eat something he wouldn't eat. He kept on praying. After seven days, the child died and and as they was whispering about it, David saw him and he perceived the child was dead and he asked him, said, is the child dead? They said, yeah, he's dead. The Bible said David got up. He went back to the house. He got cleaned up. I believe he shaved. And then the Bible said he went back and he worshiped. When he got done worshiping, he went back and said, bring me some food. And they brought him some food and he began to eat. And they marveled. They said, why is it that when the child was alive, you afflicted yourself before God and you just kept praying? David told him, he said, hey. He said, who's to say whether God would have had mercy on the child? He said, but the child is gone and I can't bring him back, but I can go to him. What a grave mistake that he made with Bathsheba. What a terrible sin, sins that grew from that one poor decision. And I don't think David ever fully recovered from that. The sword never departed from his house. There was judgment upon his house. There's a price for sin, by the way. There's a price for sin. But I want to see revival. And in order to see revival, we're going to have to see a great repentance. If we want a great revival, it's going to take great repentance. In order to see a great repentance, there's going to have to be a great moving of God's Holy Spirit in the lives of those who are rebellious in heart and mind toward Him today. Lost or backslid, whatever their condition we need a moving of God's Holy Spirit in such a, a wondrous way that they get lost. They get to the end of themselves and they recognize, I can't live like this anymore. I've got to go back home. So, preacher, I can't pray that. Suit yourself. But some of them are going to go to hell. You good with that? You all right with that? What about their children going to hell because they keep living as a backslider? Are we okay with that? Listen, I done told you that I have to repent every day. You ain't no different than I am. I have to weep before God every day because of my sin nature and my inability sometimes to keep it under subjection. I have to repent... And I'll tell you right now, it breaks my heart. I don't know what it's going to take except the Holy Spirit of God bring conviction in such a way that these people turn and run back to God. So if you would, join me as we pray for conviction. For conviction. We need the conviction of God's Holy Spirit to work in a mighty way. If we want mighty revival... It's going to take a mighty conviction, a moving of God among us that changes men's hearts and their minds and draws them to repentance.
I'm going to pray.